Good morning, everybody. You are listening to the VBAC link. And today is the first episode without Julie. And I let me tell you, I am already missing her so much. It's going to be a little different um, not having this podcast with her. I was just telling our guest today how weird, like, I don't even know what episode number we're on right now because Julie was such the backbone. She did all the technical, like little detail things. And I am going to have to get used to that. So bear with me as I'm weaning into doing all the podcast stuff by myself. But today we have our friend, Rebecca, and she is going to share her story. And guys, she has a special scar or a cervical extension, I should say, that ended up being so a special scar. And we don't have a ton of these types of episodes on the podcast. They're not as common. And one of the reasons why I'm personally excited for her to share her story is because they're not as common, but they're still possible. And so we really want to get the word out there that, you know, do your research and do what's comfortable for you, but know that it's possible. And something that's also a little different about her story is the cervical. It was from the cervical extension. So I can't wait for her to share a little bit more about this. And we're going to talk about more of what a cervical extension even means and what that looks like and what it could mean for future vaginal births. But of course we have a review of the week and normally I would turn the time over to Julie, but we don't have Julie. So I am going to read you a review of the week. Today's review is by Sarah, and she said, one month ago, had a successful VBAC induction just 18 months after my cesarean section. I almost called to schedule a repeat on my due date because I was so scared. Then I found your podcast and listened to it for two days straight. It gave me the courage to go through with an induction, and I'm so glad I did. Hoping more people find this as a resource. Oh, that's awesome. It looks like she emailed us that. We love reviews. As you know, we have Apple Podcasts. We have Spotify. We have Google Play. We have just Google. You can leave us a review on Google. But just like Sarah did, you can email us a review. So if you've had a good experience or if there was something that you would like to share with the world, please email us, feel free, and we will slot this into the review queue and maybe read it on the next podcast. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Miss Rebecca, we are so excited to have you. We thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share the stories of your three kiddos, right? You have three? Yep. Three girls. Three girls. You're a girl, mama. That is so awesome. <laughs> and how, remind me, remind me, they're all pretty close, like four, three, and one. Yep. Yep. That's yes. right. <laughs> four, three, and one. That is so awesome. So you are really busy in your life. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Are you planning, are you guys planning on having more? Do you have any idea 
if you're wanting anymore? Uh, we've all, I've always liked even numbers, so mm. probably have one, one more. more. Um, yeah. But we joke that each one gets spaced out further and uh-huh. further um, <laughs> apart. So not anytime soon, at least. Yes. But hey, you know what? Sometimes I think like Julie had this too, where all of her kids are really, really close. And it might be chaotic right now when they're little, but then they're like the best of friends and they're all in the same like time zone. Like my sister and I, you know, we're three years apart and it's like still not that very far, but I love that when they're really close, like you're always going to school together and you're kind of like in the same friend zones and in the same types of things. So it might be chaotic when they're little, but so fun. I bet it'll be worth it. It will be so awesome. (laughs) So awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I would love to turn the time over to you to tell us about these beautiful girls' births. Okay. Well, my first birth was very uncomplicated. Uh, Pretty much the only strange thing that happened was my water broke at 37 weeks in the middle of the night And I was totally unprepared because everyone says that first time moms go uh, to like 42 weeks. And so I just wasn't even in my mind, like thinking that was possible, but it was a great birth. I lasted about 10 hours labor did. It was unmedicated. I didn't have any tearing and it was just kind of like textbook, I guess, in that way. And then when my daughter was about four months old, um, I started coming down with what I thought was the flu. And then I all of a sudden started having some food aversions, which is weird. And so I had asked my doula, I was like, is this like normal, like postpartum? Like, are my hormones regulating or what's going on? And she was like, uh... Rebecca, you need to go take a pregnancy test. And it was positive. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like in denial. She said she knew for like a week before I did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was just in denial. Um, So that put their due dates within 12 or 12 months from one another. So both October. And it was just a very difficult like pregnancy emotionally physically I I had to give up nursing because I'm one of those that like dries up when I'm pregnant and I just felt a lot of guilt and my husband seemed to be like completely like just unaware of how hard it was gonna be (laughs) where I was like do you understand like having two kids 12 months apart this is going to be very hard Anyways, so with her, uh, I was expecting to go into labor early. 37 weeks came, rolled around, no baby. 38 weeks came, 39. And finally, like after my due date, I went into labor, which already felt like I was three weeks overdue just because Mm -hmm. my first daughter came three Mm -hmm. weeks early. Uh, So that was, it was just so mental at that point. But we got to the hospital and I was already nine centimeters. So we thought this baby was coming and I pushed for four hours and she would not come out. She ended up, they called in like the senior midwife and she was like, the baby's OP. And so they, you know, were having me do all the things, the 
what's it called? The Walters. Uh, oh yeah. Or, yes. That, uh, damn, that's intense. Like, Oh, it, it was terrible. Um, it was really painful. Um, but it was like, they just could not get her to turn into a favorable position. Um, they tried manually turning her. Um, mm. and I still didn't have that epidural at that point. And finally the midwife was like, was wanting to call it. And I said, what are my options? And she's like, uh, a C-section. And I was like, well, how about we do an epidural and see if that relaxes me. And then you can try turning the baby. So I was just trying at that point, like willing to try whatever. So they agreed. They let me sleep for a few hours and they came back in as the middle of the night and they started manually turning her and she was responding to it but then all of a sudden she just started having heart d cells down to the 30s and they like freaked uh, and then they're like okay well yeah. they're like okay we're not doing that and they're like okay we'll let you try to push like try to push her out just sunny side up essentially and so i pushed and she started descending but then oh. i mean it just her heart did the same thing like down to the 30s and wow. didn't recover oh, so that's, that is scary that is scary. yes it's still like I mean I mean I've worked through it in therapy now but yeah just the room you could just tell mm. the like the mood it was they were just staring at the monitor with her heart rate and it was at that point where I was like okay we we've done it we've given it our all like this is the right call. So uh, they prepped me for a C-section. It was overall, it wasn't um, terrible. They didn't like strap my arms down or anything. And they did have to do a lot of, she had descended so far down. So they had to come back through and like kind of push her back up. And during that, my cervix tour and she came out screaming and my husband told told me it was a girl because we don't mm -hmm. like to find out beforehand <laughs> and then they were taking out my placenta and I heard the midwife and the OB they're both like that's weird I've never seen anything like that they're just like talking back and forth and about and you're like listening going to on. them <laughs> yes I'm like and I know my baby's okay because I can hear her but they're just and I think I asked, like, what's going on? And uh, the midwife was like, oh, I'll, I'll come and show you uh, once you're in recovery. I'll show you your placenta. So they uh, started stitching me back up. And I'll get back to the placenta. But they started stitching me back up. And the OB said, um, he was one of those where he's a great surgeon but doesn't have, you know, bedside manner uh -huh, and uh -huh. he uh, made some comment like yeah you shouldn't waste your time trying to be back your pelvis is way too small oh and I got so angry I'm like on the operating table and I said I've already had a vaginal birth uh -huh. and you could tell he was like caught off guard by it I'm like obviously you didn't read like anything about me before you just gave me this surgery and um, this diagnosis of you can have a vaginal birth that happens right. so often ah I, I, I know I did oh it makes me so angry like when I see that because yeah obviously my baby has 
pushed out. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, even mine hadn't. Right. And he was like, your <laughs> pelvis is too small. But the thing, the thing is, is I easily could have believed him. Mm. Right. And we, when yeah. you're there cut open, laying there vulnerable and you're told don't ever do this. Your pelvis is too small. Like you, you want to just naturally believe these providers. I'm not saying that the providers are ever totally wrong or anything, but they give these diagnoses and then we just believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And I mean, yeah. And he just like, I don't know what he was using to make that judgment, but it's, I mean, it was obviously wrong as we're going to see and what my body had already done too. Yeah. And uh, I think he even like when I said that he tried to recover it by saying, well, how much did your last baby weigh? And I told him, he goes, and he said, well, I guess your magic number is somewhere between Uh -uh. your first baby's weight and your second baby's weight. And I was just thinking like, I don't think that's how it works. uh -uh. No, (laughs) Mm -mm. no. Sorry, dude. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Uh exactly. So yeah, he got reprimanded, I think, for that one by the midwives. Yeah. It made me so angry. But anyways, in recovery, uh, the midwife brought my placenta to show me. And it was wild. She said she'd never seen anything like it. It was a bivalved placenta. And there was a velamentous cord insertion in between the connecting tissue. So it was just very exposed. And there was and apparently... I had had vasopravia too. So whenever their, their assumption was whenever my baby was turning, it was compressing the cord and causing the heart D cells essentially. And so they said it could have ruptured at, during surgery um, and, or sorry, during, if I actually pushed her out, like there, it, it could have been pretty bad. So it, it was really kind of crazy. She took pictures of it and like texted it to oh all the people. And she thought it was two placentas. The OB disagrees. So there's like the jury, I guess, is like still out on what it was. But I'd had a lot of bleeding during the pregnancy. And they had kind of assumed like vanishing twin or something along those lines. Uh early on and they couldn't quite figure out it just kind of stopped so they don't know what exactly was going on with the placenta if it was just yeah it was it was crazy but that was my second birth and it just was very traumatic the whole after having such a smooth kind of textbook first birth and feeling so empowered to have this 12 months later was just devastating Thankfully, like my doula, like recommended therapy and uh, I I got into a therapist and really was just able to like work through uh, that birth trauma, uh, which is one of my big recommendations to people who, who, you know, have unexpected C-sections is like work through your birth story and there's like so much healing in that. And I'm now able to like look back at the birth and it's not a happy necessarily like the happiest day to look back on, but I'm able to like see it and, you know, not like cry <laughs> whenever I talk about it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So 
that was my second birth. And then now leading into my third, um, I was determined to have a VBAC, one to kind of prove it to that OB who told me my pelvis was too small. But just for my own, like I knew how much I loved my first birth and I just really wanted that again. And after we got pregnant in one of my first appointments, I was just kind of chatting with the midwife and I said, oh yeah, the OB mentioned something about a cervical tear during the C-section and do, do you know, does that affect anything? And her face kind of changed. And she goes, I'm going to go get your op report and read it. I'll be back in a few minutes. And she came back in and said that I had a low-lying transverse scar, but I had a midline cervical extension. So essentially my cervix had torn and it had torn kind of up to where my C-section scar was. So it was like in the shape of a T. Did it? So did the cervical scar tear up into your uterus? Yes. Okay. But not into the contracting part. So it was still like low, but it was, yeah, it was very hard for me to figure out what exactly it was because I was trying to Google all these words. What does this mean? And then they were finally able to explain it to me. Like it was shaped like a T essentially. And uh, she said, she seemed very confident that I was going to risk out of um, having a child labor. And I was devastated, just really upset. But she ultimately left it up to the OB um, and one of the OBs in the practice to sign off on. So I knew I was going to see him at my next appointment. So I just spent a ton of time researching. I was texting all my friends that are doctors. Nobody knew uh, what it meant. I was searching research articles. I joined the special scars Facebook group, trying to find similar stories. And I eventually found a PubMed study that was on cervical lacerations and how they affected subsequent pregnancies. And it wasn't really like a T for T or, well, I guess like apples to apples comparison. But I was like, you know what? These women had cervical tears and went on to have vaginal first afterwards, I'm going to take this to the OB and say that I want. So I was just like armed and ready. And then I went to the appointment and he was like, yeah, there's not really any, any data or studies on how this impacts your risk of rupture. And I told him about the study and he just was very, it it was weird. He was just like, okay, yeah, you can have a trial flavor. And I was shocked because I was just expecting to have this all this pushback, but I don't know if he was just more comfortable because it was lower and not in the contracting part of my uterus, or if he could tell I was just very determined and had done my research and was wanting, was willing to take that risk. Uh, But he essentially gave the green light and then I never heard anything about it the rest of the pregnancy. So that was really exciting. And I just continued uh, during the pregnancy, like went to the chiropractor, did dates, drank, read, or did dates, like eight dates, uh, drank red raspberry leaf tea, was doing spinning babies, hypnobirthing meditations. I was just like trying to get in the right headspace and get my body ready. Um, 
And then near the end, I kind of started psyching myself out. And in one of my last appointments, I was obsessing about the baby's position because um, the baby wasn't, what is the ideal, because uh, it's like L-O-T, right? Where L-O-A is. L-O-A, L-O-A, yeah. but O-A. I mean, we want baby O-A looking down towards mom's back. So as the baby comes down underneath the pelvis, the neck can kind of flex underneath the pubic bone and then they rotate and create room for the shoulders. But LOA is kind of like a great spot to start because the uterus will naturally kind of like rotate baby away. So, yeah. yeah. So I think I was, the baby was ROT where the baby typically turns. Yeah. Posterior during labor. Yeah. So they start on that side because it kind of rotates you know, back to left to front. And so if you've got a baby that's on the right, but looking sideways, which is ROT, which means the baby's back's like on the right, but like looking or like on the right side, but like sideways, like in the middle. (laughs) So that kind of makes sense. I'm like using it with my hand. People can't see me, but and then (laughs) the baby rotates. So, but you know, most labors, have a high chance at some point of baby going in a posterior position, whether or not they stay there or not. But yeah, ROT for sure. Usually going to have a baby there. So I was just kind of paranoid, I think from my previous birth. And I I said something to the midwives of like, I, when she confirmed that the baby, I think it was ROT. I was just like, I can't, I can't birth an OP baby. And she just looked at me in the eyes and was like, no. <laughs> She's like, you couldn't vaginally birth the last one, but this is a different baby and this is a different birth. And she was like, it's the majority of these babies turn and are going to get in the right position. So that just kind of set me at ease. And I started having prodromal labor starting around 38 weeks. And then the day after my due date, uh, I started having lower back cramping and kind of aches felt like period cramps, super mild. And I said to my husband, you know, lower back pain can be an early sign of labor. <laughs> and at this point, he just looked at me he's like, what isn't an early sign of labor? And I think if like looks could kill, I was so <laughs> annoyed at that point, which in all fairness, I had been telling him every single day for two weeks that I thought I was in early labor and it was all just prodromal. So uh, hey, you were still yeah. having laboring signs and prodromal labor is still labor. It's just not progressive labor. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I didn't appreciate his smart Alec, um, remark, but I-, I did try timing them and there was no peak. They just kind of fizzled out. It was nothing. That evening, I lost my mucus plug again. And I told my husband and my mother-in-law, I'm like, I think tonight might be the night. But I really didn't want to jinx it. So I didn't send my older kids home with her because I had done that the last time. And we had to do like the walk of shame where she had to bring our kid back to us because I didn't go into labor. So I was like, okay, we're just going to go to bed. I went to bed at 1030 that night downstairs in our guest room because the struggle was real with the pillows and getting comfortable and that whole that whole, you know, third trimester uh, routine. So one hour later, after I had gone to sleep, I woke up to a contraction and I stood up 
and immediately heard a pop and my water broke. So I went to the bathroom to check the color and make sure it was clear. And the contractions, they were coming like this was real. And so I, I just knew like we need to leave for the hospital like, as soon as possible. But the problem was my husband was upstairs asleep and I literally could not walk past our kitchen. I just in our kitchen, like fell down to my hands and knees. And I thought I was screaming his name, but he told me later on, I was actually just like whisper screaming and he doesn't even know how he woke up. He heard like a weird noise and apparently I was like whispering, but it, it was weird. And he came downstairs and in my mind, I'm like on my kitchen floor and I'm like, I'm totally getting the epidural. I have nothing left to prove. I am getting that epidural as soon as we get there, which hindsight's 2020. I was obviously like in transition at this point, but he called his sister. Thankfully she only lived two streets away. So she was at her house in like five minutes. And I told him, you need to call the on-call midwife and let him know we're coming. And he hadn't packed a bag yet. He did not have a hospital bag packed. He's like, I can't call. So he put it on speakerphone, dialed it and set it down on the floor while I'm like on my hands and knees, like working through contractions and he's running around packing a bag. So the midwife, she's like, um, how far apart are your contractions? And I'm just like, they're back to back. Like they're double peaking. I'm like, I can't get off the floor. And she's like, okay, you need to, you need to come in soon. <laughs> That's the plan. We're heading in soon. So uh, somehow they get me to the car and as we're going or before we get to the car, I told my husband, like, hey, grab one of those puppy pads that we never used uh, in the closet because we had just gotten a new car like two months before. And obviously my water was leaking. So I was in the back seat, riding on my knees, holding like the back of the headrest. And we get in the car, we start driving and all of a sudden my contractions start spacing out again. I was like, oh, this is so nice. Like I'm getting a break finally, which once again, hindsight is 2020 contractions typically start spacing out right whenever you're supposed to start pushing. So we're halfway to the hospital and my body just starts bearing down. We're in the car and like, oh my gosh, like I'm pushing and we're in a car. And my husband, he's like, do I need to pull over? But at this point, we're on a bridge. We drove from Louisville over to Indiana to give birth. And we're like on the bridge over the Ohio River, like in between the two states. And I was like, no, you cannot pull over right now. And I said, you need to call the hospital and tell them to be waiting for us. Like they're, the, this is an emergency situation. So he calls. I might have a baby on the side of the, of the road. When we it might. Yeah. yeah. Like at that point, I'm like, there, there's no way. Like by the time an ambulance gets there. Oh, yeah. No. You it, know? it was probably best to just keep going. It yeah. was just like, keep going. And yeah. so he calls the hospital and it's like this lady. And <laughs> she's like, sure, just come in and you can go up to labor and delivery. <laughs> And he's like, no, you don't understand. My wife is having a baby. And she's just like giving him the runaround. And I finally was like, tell her I'm a third time mom and I'm pushing. And he told her that. And she was like, one moment and immediately like transferred him. 
to the emergency room department. And so they said they would be waiting for us. So we're like, okay, good. That's what we like to hear. And uh, so we're almost there and my body is bearing down and actually like pull down my pants and stick my hand down to make sure that I don't feel ahead. Cause I mean, I am like pushing hard and mm-hmm. actually I pooped um, in <laughs> the car and it landed on the puppy pad, thankfully. Hey. So <laughs> I was mortified. Well, I think I was more, this is so silly. I was like, it's a new car. And I just like booped in our car. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know. But we all know, real. we all know, what ha- like pooping is like a sure sign the baby's coming. So it's not yeah. like it was a bad thing. <laughs> no, I just, you know, it would have been nice to. What did your husband I- say about that? <laughs> he um later he actually left the hospital to like go clean out the car like a couple of hours after <laughs> like hey, and go clean he, that up <laughs> yeah I mean who you would not want that sitting in the car but he said mm, it yeah. wasn't bad because it all was on the puppy pad so I just pulled it so, up throw it in the garbage <laughs> yep so it wasn't so that's my tip for all you listeners have a puppy pad in your car just in case yes um, puppy pad yeah. and and a bag or something for vomit a no matter Ooh, how far yeah. along you are in labor, something to do that. Cause you never know. Sorry. My dog's toy is squeaking in the background. You never know when you're going to poop or puke. So. Yep. That very fair. I definitely puked in my first labor. Um, so anyways, we get to the hospital and they're like waiting. I can see like the team, like, you know, at the outside and they, like they come up to like the door, the side that I'm on and she checks to make sure that there's not like a head. And she's like, you've defecated. <laughs> she's like, but that is normal. Like She's like trying to reassure me. I'm like, I know it's normal to like poop. It's okay. But they're trying to convince me to like get on the gurney. And I'm like, I'm not laying down on that. I was like, I will crawl onto my hands and knees. So this entire time I pretty much have not been off of my hands and knees. Right. And so they get a sheet, cover me because my pants are off at this point, and they wheel me up to labor and delivery on this gurney with me like on my hands and knees. And they get up, I have my eyes closed the whole time, and they get up to labor and delivery and somebody whispers in my ear and says, hey, Rebecca, this is Sarah, you're going to be okay. And it was my favorite nurse who was there with my traumatic birth and stayed the entire time. And she's actually a student midwife too. So I was just immediately like put at ease. So they get me up um, they know they're not gonna be able to COVID test me. So they like put me in like the COVID positive room, like, cause they're, you know, obviously not gonna stick a Q-tip up my nose at this point. And they're, um, the ER people just have no idea what to do. So they're like, do we need to run a line? Like, should we run an IV? And, you know, they're like, and Sarah, the nurse is just like, uh, there's no time for that. Like you're, you're not running an IV on her right now. And they're trying to convince me to get over into the like labor and delivery bed, but I don't want to move. And they're like, we promise you it's much more comfortable than the gurney. Like, please. So they finally like scoot them like side by side. And I just like crawl over and stay on my hands and knees. And they get the monitors on me and she checks me and she's like, oh yeah, like you're complete. And I was like, 
what station is the baby in? And she just like laughs. And because in my head, you know, I was complete with my last pregnancy and still pushed for four hours. But uh, she goes, uh, like, the baby's right there. You're like plus three, like this baby's coming. And in the background, I can just hear like, they're on the phone, they're trying, there is no midwife on the premises, and there's no OB. And they're kind of panicking. um, Because the first call midwife is like over across the street, like with a birth center patient. And so she can't leave. So then they have one driving from like 20 minutes away. And then the OB that I do not like from my C-section, they call him and he's on his way. And he was not the person that I wanted to see either. And, th- but everybody's like 20 minutes away. And I said, I have to push. And she's like, okay, you're fine. You can push and literally push. Baby came out in that first push fully like no head molding or anything. And I just like laid down. I was so exhausted. And then I like turn around and they hand her to me and tell me it's a girl, which I was shocked because I thought it was going to be a boy. Uh, Just of such a different pregnancy. But so yeah, the nurse ended up catching her. And I think it was 15 minutes after we got to the hospital. She was born at like 1226 a.m., And I had woken up to that first contraction at 11.30 p.m. So it was pretty much exactly an hour. And it was just wild. Oh, my Um, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Could not believe it. But, yeah, so that's that's the story. Um, It was was just a whirlwind. Um, Yeah. 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 I'm kind of scared to have another kid, honestly. (laughs) Because I'm like, what? What happens if you don't get to the hospital? I um, know. Well, I mean, it happens and people usually call EMTs and things like that. But um, yeah, you might have to plan like first, first sign of anything, maybe going. I don't know. I mean, it's totally like, yeah. what you want more <laughs> like what me ah, but yeah the another thing too um is sometimes with a history of pretty solid prodromal labor um that like as a doula if i have cl- a client that has had a week of prodromal labor i in my mind and kind of anticipate potentially a precipitous birth doesn't mm. always happen. Doesn't always happen. But especially for um, a mom that has had a baby before and her cervix has done the thing, you know, dilated and effaced and everything, prodromal labor can sometimes be a sign that labor could, not always, but could go quickly. Well, I think I remember reading that like every, or what I at least told myself was every contraction that I had then, like in the moment, I'm like, this is one less that I'll have later. Uh (laughs) Uh, And I mean, I don't know how accurate that is, but it kind of seemed true, at least in my case, like that I had very few. Yeah. I mean, it was just so fast, but it was interesting. Like my body like looking back, it's like, okay, I did not get off of my hands and knees. I delivered on my hands and knees like that was, and 
I think the baby was turning like that's what uh-huh. my body knew like because it kind of felt crazy in my like body I don't know like I, I felt like she was kind of banging around I don't know if that's the right um she, she was obviously like rotating or something but just like my body like knew like this was the position I needed to be in and I did not like get out of it for anyone <laughs> like this that was it Hands yeah and intuitive yeah your body was intuitively going into that position which I think is amazing I think it's amazing that our body can communicate to us kind of like that where it's like you get in a position you're like nope this is not working and then you get in a position Mm -hmm. you're like I'm not leaving (laughs) this is where I'm staying yeah that is so awesome though and I love that you're a provider I love that one you did research and you spoke with your provider and we're you know able to have that conversation and they're like, okay, yeah. You know? And then I also love, this is like, not in regards to the laceration, but I also love when your baby was in a, you know, less ideal as what the world says is less that, you know, ideal is not LOA, but ROT that she's like, yeah, like your baby's going to rotate. It's going to be fine. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of needed that. Oh, yeah. I think I, mentally I had hit kind of a wall of mm-hmm. even though I the whole time I'd been listening to affirmations and getting in the right headspace. But right there at the end, it was all of a sudden, like just the mental game, you know, mm-hmm. of can I do this? I don't mm-hmm. know if I can do this. But I was so thankful because um, I feel like it really put me kind of over that hump. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. Oh, well, awesome. Well, if you know you guys do end up having more children, hopefully, hopefully you make it to the <laughs> hospital or wherever you decide to birth. Hopefully it goes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, somebody suggested a home birth, but I was like, a home birth midwife would not have gotten there in time. My husband would have been catching that baby. <laughs> yeah, that happened to a friend of mine where she kind of same thing. It was very precipitous. Midwife was you know not even that far but she she also said I probably waited too long to tell her to come but she was in denial she was like oh I just don't I really know like I'm okay I'm doing okay like it's Mm -hmm. fine and then it just like shifted so fast and I'm like yeah you probably should have called her and she even said that she's like yeah I probably should have called her sooner but yeah her husband caught the baby and the midwife the midwife was there to catch the placenta Oh, see, that's, Uh, yeah, that's essentially, I think what happened. Uh, The midwife got there in time for me to deliver mm -hmm. the placenta at the hospital, Mm -hmm. at least. Uh, But yeah, she was, yep, nobody was there for the actual baby. There, (laughs) yep. And that happens, that happens. Sometimes these babies, and like you said, like, there was no, like, shaping of the head. It was like, baby dropped and rotated and came down. (laughs) Like, yep. yep, yep, your body did some awesome work. and. I love that. So, um, with your cervical laceration, have you, um, obviously it didn't necessarily stop you from dilating. Um, you know, there wasn't any (laughs) scar tissue or anything like that. Like, have you in your research found that, um, sometimes when there's lacerations to the cervix that it can like, delay dilation or cause issues with dilating? 
Well, yeah, and I I read I, y'all's article also on uh, scar t- cervical s- scar tissue because uh-huh. I was concerned about that, which they told me, I, I remember bringing it up to my midwives and they're like, you know, we won't really know until you're in labor if you have a lot of scar tissue. And if you do, they're like, we might just try to like break it up. <laughs> like if you're okay with that or mm-hmm. your body will just eventually, they said a lot of times there's a big jump in dilation. So like you're showing all the signs, but you're not very dilated. And then all of a sudden, like you jump from like a three to like an eight and it's like that scar tissue breaks up. Mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, so, I mean, I guess presumably there could have been scar tissue and it was just, it just broke on its it own. It broke open like an hour before the baby was born. I don't really know, but there wasn't any by the time I got to the hospital that was Which causing is great. issues. Yeah. yeah. Have you had any problems like monthly with pain or anything like that? Uh, no, I need to probably go back to physical uh, pelvic floor therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I did go like with my third pregnancy because like halfway through I started feeling like some pressure and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really helpful. So I'm I'm all about that soapbox too. Yeah. Pelvic floor therapy. Oh, I, I, have, I have not prioritized it, but I was telling a friend the other day, I'm like, I don't think things are back to normal after that, like, really fast labor Mm -hmm. and push it. Like, thankfully, I only had, like, a first degree, like, superficial tear that they didn't stitch. But it's still, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, after three pregnancies, things are feeling... Mm-hmm. It's not painful. It's just like, I'm like, I feel like some therapy could be helpful, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, um, we're actually having a, we're going to be recording a, another episode with a pelvic floor specialist here <clears throat> in the next awesome. couple of weeks. Yeah. And so that one, you know, stay tuned everybody for that. Cause it's going to be really great. She has a lot of really, really great info on that. So She's, oh my gosh, she has so many amazing things just on her Instagram. So that will be good. But, you know, I think, you know, vaginal or non-vaginal, like pelvic floor stuff is really good to do and just tune in and learn how to strengthen and release and all that jazz down there. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've only had one vaginal birth, the two C-sections, and I feel like I probably need some pelvic floor, some more pelvic floor love I've gone, but um, I probably need more too. So, well, that's awesome. So I was trying to find the PubMed article that you were referencing. Do you know the title of it? Is it the interpartum yes. cervical lacerations? Yes, it's that one. Okay. Okay. That's the one I found. Perfect. Um, yeah, they did like a, quite a significant study. I mean, there were, I mean, there's 81,000 just over 81,000 deliveries in this study. And it said that um, 131 or 0.16 were um, complicated by cervical lacerations. So it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. It says that um, the cervical, they, a lot of the time they get cervical cerclages. So I was wondering if anyone ever talked to you about cervical cerclage. No, they never. That's awesome. Never mentioned it. Yeah. I have a friend that has a cervical cerclage. She, um, when she gets pregnant, she starts dilating like really, really, really early, like 
really early, like 18, 20 weeks. And so they had to do oh, a massage. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, it talks about, it says regression and it says cervical cyclos precipitous labor. Really? Like, oh, yes. I totally didn't I, even know that. <laughs> I didn't either. So I saw the precipitous labor and I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. But I, I mean, I think that it's probably because it happens so fast and baby just comes out really, really fast. But like you had precipitous labor the second time and didn't have any further complications. So that's really awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to link this article to the show notes and you can check it out if you want to, if you guys want to learn more about cervical lacerations and how it could impact future vaginal deliveries. But yeah, I mean, it still looks like people go, many people go on and have uncomplicated vaginal deliveries. So yeah. Right. And I, the way it was explained to me too, is a lot of times it could happen a lot more than they realize where Mm -hmm. if, you know, they knew because of the C-section, but you know, you could tear your cervix during birth. And if you're not hemorrhaging or bleeding a lot, then they might not even catch it. You know, it might just heal on its own and Mm -hmm. that could, you know, lead to scar tissue. So I, I am curious of, if it is more common than we, and we just have no idea, you know? Right. And that's another thing, um, you know, even talking about uterine rupture, right? Like there's different types of uterine rupture. There's like dehiscence and stuff. And obviously with uterine rupture, we usually know, but there, there are probably many times people have dehiscences where it's like really thin or, or windows, um, you know, but like we, we see windows, but like you see it because you're, uterus you're you're cut open you see the uterus but like if you don't have a c-section we could still have windows but we don't see them so we might have more uterine windows than we know but we're just not seeing them so yeah it's kind of interesting like if things aren't coming forth in like concern or bleeding and things like that then we may not ever know so yeah exactly yeah But yeah, I mean, in this conclusion, it says interpartum cervical lacerations do not appear to affect the outcome of subsequent pregnancies. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, And obviously it went up a little bit. So we're going to link the special scars group. We'll do our special scars blog. um, And I'm also going to link this PubMed article in the show notes. So if you guys want to go check that out, click on the show notes below and um, have fun reading. Well, it was wonderful to have you and hear your beautiful stories. And I mean, they're all so different in so many ways. It's really kind of crazy to think about how, you know, you're the same person, but you've had three very different deliveries. And I think that is, or, you know, births, and that's kind of how it can always be. And so I think sometimes as, as VBAC, especially, or, you know, we're, we're going to VBAC it, it's important for us to remember that just because one birth was one way doesn't mean it's going to be the next birth. That's not going to be yeah. our story for every birth because I know it's easy to do because it is, we know what we know, right? We, we know right. what we've lived through. And so even you said that, you know, it's just, yeah, it's easy to like kind of reflect back or maybe be triggered or things, but just know that every delivery is different, even though you're the same person, every baby, every delivery, or, you know, every birth is so different. And so try to remember that as you're going through things and there may be similarities, but it doesn't mean it's the same. 
Right. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And um, yeah, I can't wait for the world to hear you. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbaclink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.